Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, a former Southern Baptist Convention president and pastor who leads the National Day of Prayer, Ronnie Floyd, encouraging believers to pay careful attention to a variety of areas of life and the connection to the spiritual. Plus, noted theologian Wayne Grudem of Phoenix Seminary, providing some insight into how a Christian worldview perspective can be applied to various ethical issues. Also coming up on this edition of The Intersection, more content from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 Unite Event in Nashville, sponsored by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail. You'll be hearing from Jeff Dixon, an Orlando pastor who has set novels at Walt Disney World and has written about principles instituted by Disney that could be helpful to the church. Conversation material ahead. Also from the stream, you'll be hearing from John Zmirak, who's concerned about the way that some voices are being limited through social media, including some Christians, and how recent expressions of incivility and culture should be of concern to Christians. Finally, Garland Hunt, one of the leaders of the One Race event at Stone Mountain in Atlanta on August 25th, expresses how the power of prayer can help unite believers in Christ and contribute toward racial reconciliation. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Ronnie Floyd is senior pastor of Cross Church in Arkansas, president of the National Day of Prayer, and a former Southern Baptist Convention president. He's written a book entitled Living Fit, Make Your Life Count by Pursuing a Healthy You. In it, he discusses the relationship of spiritual health to other areas of life. From that conversation, here are some comments relative to the book from Ronnie Floyd. In reality, what we have is not only the statement, as your spiritual life, so goes the rest of your life. What we find in Christianity many times, Bob, is that people, they look, they look at their spiritual life, and if they're doing well, spiritually they think okay i'm doing well at the same time you know their relationships are a wreck their financials are falling apart uh they're an emotional basket case and they're trying to figure it all out uh or maybe their physical conditioning and taking care of their bodies is just out you know just out of sorts and i imagine it like this i challenge people in the book to imagine your life like going and sitting in a car that you're about to drive when you when you when you look and you get in your car to drive you have a dashboard that is filled with all kinds of gauges most of the time we don't pay attention to uh, maybe one maybe two of those gauges until we really need to and uh, we have the fuel gauge that we obviously better be attuned to and then we should be checking you know, how fast we're going as we're going down the street or down the highway. Beyond that, we don't check a lot of those gauges. And not until one of them start blinking and going off do we know that we even have a problem. Well, that's exactly what happens in life. If you can imagine your life, you looking at five gauges on your dashboard of your life. You have the spiritual gauge. You have the physical gauge, meaning your, your physical fitness. You have your relational gauge, you have your financial gauge, you have your emotional gauge. Don't make the same mistake with your life, the mistake you make with getting in a car and not checking all your gauges. Because you have to understand is that none of those gauges exist in and of themselves. They are all 
connected together. And that's why, for example, if somebody's spiritual life is out of sort, it affects all of that. Or if somebody is uh, never taking care of their bodies physically, uh, it's going to affect certain ways they feel about themselves emotionally. Uh, people that are highly emotional many times are that way because maybe their spiritual life isn't connected well, maybe their relationships are a mess, or maybe their financials are a challenge. And what we have to understand is that, is that many times the emotional things and the emotions we deal with oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes is because we have issues relating to the other areas of life. And so, again, nothing happens in isolation. And so what we have to learn to do is, is this. Check the gauges of your life. And what I've said is, is that when you look at the complete you, the total you, when you really look at that, your spiritual life, your physical life, meaning your body, your relational life, the relationships you have in your life, your financial life, and your emotional life, all of those are gauges that will determine how fit you are in your holistic approach of life, your holistic belief about yourself, and most of all, you, totally you. How fit are you? And that's the question that we propose in the book. And the call is to live fit. Live fit spiritually, live fit. Uh, physically, live fit. Relationally, live fit financially, and to live fit emotionally. And that will give you the total package of all God intended you to be. Ronnie Floyd here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, RonnieFloyd.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Wayne Grudem, Research Professor of Theology and Biblical Studies at Phoenix Seminary. He discussed a biblical approach to a number of ethical issues as he writes about in the book, Christian Ethics, An Introduction to Biblical Moral Reasoning. From that recent conversation, this is Wayne Grudem. The Ten Commandments contain broad areas of teaching by which God gives us instruction in uh, many areas of life that where we really wonder now what is the right thing to do, what is what is pleasing to God in this situation. The first first four commandments about you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not uh, make for yourself a carved image or a graven image, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those first co- four commandments have to do with uh, protecting God's honor. And then the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, has to do with protecting the human family. So protecting God's honor, protecting the family, and then the next commandment, you shall not murder, concerns protection of life. And in that category, I, I treat many topics related to protection of human life, um, capital punishment, war, self-defense, whether it's right to own a firearm or a weapon in self-defense, uh, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, and some things having to do with the protection of quality of life, like aging and death and racial discrimination and health and alcohol and drugs. Those all are clustered under the Ten Commandments, under the protection of life in You Shall Not Murder. Uh, Then the Seventh Commandment is You Shall Not Commit Adultery. That has to do with the protection of marriage, and we deal with areas of sexual ethics and homosexuality, uh, marriage and divorce, pornography, birth control, in that section of the book. Then the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal, has to do with the protection of property, 
And so I talk about the goodness of ownership of property, work and rest, prosperity, wealth and poverty, personal stewardship, borrowing and lending, and business ethics and the environment. And then finally, uh, we get to, well, I, I already treated you shall not bear false witness. That's the protection of truth. And then the last commandment, you shall not covet, has to do with protection of purity of heart. And so I cover the topics in ethics under those broad categories organized according to the principles taught in the Ten Commandments. Dr. Grudem, one of my concerns and, and I guess, areas of observation in the Church today is how it seems like that, that Christians disagree on so many issues that are out there, and you do have streams of thought, especially, and it seems like here— as of late, that there has been a real distortion of God's teachings on sexuality that has entered the church, and you have a number of churches and denominations that are dealing with these issues, these matters with respect to sexuality. But there are a number of issues on which Christians do not see eye to eye. So how can this material and these principles be useful as far as Christians responding to one another, especially when you have ideas that that really, as I see it, are unbiblical? Well, I think this book, Bob, will give a resource to people so that they'll at least understand where in the Bible we can go to find the passages that speak to these uh, particular issues, such as homosexuality or transgenderism um, or um, pornography or um, sexual morality within marriage. Um, At least I've given the passages and reasoning from those passages. Where there are differences among Christians, like uh, over the question of um, legitimate grounds for divorce and remarriage, there are differences among Bible-believing Christians in the world today on those questions, and I quote those who are, in many cases, my friends who teach at other universities or seminaries, quote their opinions and give reasons for, let them give reasons for their viewpoint and, and give reasons for my viewpoint and uh, let the reader draw his or her own conclusions. But I think that the basic principle is we need to be grounded in Scripture and be subject to, be subject to, the, uh, to the overall teaching of Scripture on these issues. I think, too, Bob, one of the other reasons I wrote the book is I don't think God wants us to be confused on these issues. I think he's, give, he's given us his word. And it's clear enough that if we really seek to find the truth and are subjected to the, the truthfulness of his word, we'll be able to, with some effort and some study, we'll be able to understand what he wants us to believe and how he wants us to act uh, in regard to these issues. Wayne Grudem here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website waynegrudem.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. And through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three, featuring three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You could also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content 
Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Pastor and author Jeff Dixon stopped by the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 Unite event presented by CBA to discuss the latest book in his fictional Key to the Kingdom series entitled Kingdom Chaos. He also discussed his nonfiction book, The Disney Code, focusing on Epcot at Walt Disney World and Disney Leadership Principles. Here now from that recent conversation at CBA Unite 2018, it's Jeff Dixon. We've created just a whole a fictional world that we've laid on top of those very real environments in Central Florida as well as you know, just the Magic Kingdom. And so for a Disney fan, a mystery fan, an adventure fan, a history buff that likes some Walt Disney history, we've incorporated all of that in and, and really at this point have kind of created a world um, that, that we're kind of setting these stories into. And so it's been a lot of fun. Um, and so we've connected with Disney fans, uh, fiction fans, uh, Christians who like to kind of imagine themselves in impossible situations. And the lead character is a pastor who ends up inheriting in some ways um, a legacy that was left by Walt and Roy Disney. And so there's that, that, that faith concept that comes into play because this guy has left the pastorate now to run, basically run Disney, which, okay, why not, right? Sure, so, absolutely. Um, and so that's, where, that's how it's all set up. Well, uh, something interesting, and I know that a number of years ago there was a series, the Kingdom Keeper series. Mm-hmm. Dave Barry, who is a well-known comedian, and Ridley Pearson, who a, is a known author, the two of them teamed up. Now, now their books, I know you have such elements as, as holograms and characters being projected here and there and animatronic characters coming to life and becoming villains and things of that sort. Would you say that might be one of the principal differences if, if people are thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm familiar with this over yeah. here, but what you're doing sounds like it might be a bit different. It is a bit different. My book is written um, really toward a more um, adult, mature audience. Now, again, not that there's anything that would embarrass you in the books, but if you, you know, you're, you're late middle school, high school, this can be your kind of book, where um, the Kingdom Keeper series was written more angled toward kids and more of a young adult fiction type of approach, and because... Um, Disney, um, Hyperion was one of the publishers of it. Um, there was a free license to be able to use and create and, and make the characters do things that, that an author like <laughs> I am not allowed to do because, again, I don't yeah. own those characters. Yeah. And so, um, but Ridley series has been fun, and, and, and it, it, but very, very different and, um, and gets into a um, more of a science fiction slant. Mine does not. Mine's more is a, it is a mis- it is outlandish. There's no doubt about it. But um, at the same time, um, we build really on the history and the locations and, um, and, and actually give our folks that like to read the clues that they could unravel the mysteries themselves that they want as they kind of move through the books because they don't recognize the places and what's being said and where, where each character is. When you talk about mysteries that are contained within the parks, share some examples if you would. Well, Disney is is the king of details. Uh, mm-hmm. Walt kind of instilled that in the Imagineers. Um, that really has become one of the um, benchmarks of a Disney theme park, where if you take the time, you can actually go through the parks, and if you start noticing the details and asking the question, why are those things there? What does it mean? Um, is there a connection to something else? Um, you know, you can actually never go into a ride or attraction and just look at the details if 
you know where to find them and you take the time to do that. And so that's kind of what I've done in the books. And what I've, what I've done is I've added extra meaning to each one of those things. And so you create the clues that go from attraction to attraction, you connect them together. And so that's kind of what I've done in the um, architecture, the landscaping, some of the things that are, are there or have been preserved and, and, and things that I think a lot of Dis- Disney history buffs or Disney files know all about. Um, I've just connected them in a way that maybe they've never seen it before. Well, and one of the elements, as you mentioned, of these books is the faith connection. Why is, of course, you're you're a pastor. You're originally from the Orlando area, still pastor in that area. That's your home base. Why is it that you really have chosen to take these elements of Disney and faith and blend them together? Yeah, well, um, I'm again, Orlando guy. So, I mean, I've always had an appreciation for the way the theme parks were created. And I really do think that in Walt's life, there are some leadership lessons that the church probably should um, not be afraid to learn. But then there's a quality of excellence that Disney does things with. I mean, it's not an accident that they're the vacation kingdom of the world, um, that people would spend um, a lifetime saving for a once-in-a-lifetime location because they want to go there so badly. And I think there's some lessons that the church needs to learn about the way that we do business, the way that we project ourselves into the world, and the standards of excellence that we use um, that, that maybe are some things that we could learn some lessons from and then bring back into the ministry um, that Disney does. And so uh, I'm just a strong advocate of that, and I think that um, the way that Disney creates an experience is something that the church ought to look at sometimes. Jeff Dixon here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website, DixonOnDisney.com. Next up, it's John Zmirak, senior editor at The Stream. He discussed various attempts to silence conservative and Christian voices. He highlighted double standards at social media, as well as an incident where two conservative leaders were harassed at a restaurant. From that recent conversation, this is John Zmirak now. I tweet a lot because I'm promoting articles that I wrote at The Stream and also commenting on current events. And I have found myself shadow banned from, on Twitter. What that means is people who used to see you don't see you anymore, even if they follow you. They have to like go specifically to your name and click on it to see what you've written. Um, and that is, that is something Twitter does with people they want to kind of quiet down but don't want to completely, completely ban. Um, and, of course, it's nothing compared to what's happened to Prager University. Dennis Prager, dozens of his videos have been banned. Um, Michael Brown, my friend who's an evangelist, a, a Jew, Jewish, Jewish Christian, dozens of his videos have been banned or demonetized. Demonetized means you can run them, but if people click on the ad and you're not going to make any money. It's, it's a way of making it impossible for conservatives and Christians uh, to financially support their efforts at social media. So um, these media companies are part of a systematic intolerance, uh, a totalitarian mentality that the left is justifying uh, with a wide array of exaggerated and false claims. But at the heart of it is that whoever, whatever group historically had some advantages in the recent past, so Christians were a strong majority in America up until quite recently, and there's still the plurality, I would say. Um, because of that, they are privileged, and they don't, get the same protection from discrimination 
and censorship that minority groups deserve. I heard the same thing applied to white Americans, certainly applied to Republicans. Um, the, there's these leftist, this leftist group, Antifa. It's basically like a leftist Ku Klux Klan in black hoods, uh, mostly upper-class white, white people, by the way, who think that they can terrorize other people and accuse them falsely of racism. And they did it to Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk, and uh, a black woman and a white man who were having breakfast, got attacked by this mob of angry white people accusing the, those, the couple of being white supremacists, driving them out of the restaurant. They had to take refuge with the police. It's like something from a racist mob during the civil rights movement. It was staggering. Mm. And, and on the same day, four giant tech companies colluded to ban Alex Jones from social media. Now, social media is supposed to be a neutral medium of expression. But the left is trying to turn it into the opinion police. I don't consider Alex Jones a conservative. He's sort of a, he's sort of a, an, almost an anarchist rabble rouser. But he has a right to be that, except unless he commits slander or libel, which maybe he did, yep. but then prosecute him for it. If he doesn't break the law, he should be allowed to express himself however he wants and make a fool of himself if he wants to. That's that's what America is supposed to be about. You have the right to make a fool of yourself as long as you're not violently threatening someone, call, calling for a violent overthrow of the government, or committing slander or libel. That's, the, that's what the social media platforms should be doing. They, they should be neutral, neutral outlets for the interchange of ideas. If they get, go any further than that, they are essentially discriminating. I mean, think about this. Think of the public accommodations law, okay? You can't discriminate against people in a restaurant based on their race or religion. Why should Facebook or YouTube be able to discriminate against Christian videos or Christian websites? I don't see how that works. How's that legal? John's Mirak here on The Intersection. Learn more at thestream.org. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Bishop Garland Hunt, Senior Pastor of the Father's House in Norcross, Georgia, and Co-Executive Director of the One Race Movement. He shared information about the background and purpose of the One Race event at Stone Mountain outside Atlanta on August 25, 2018, with a focus on prayer and reconciliation. From that recent conversation, this is Garland Hunt now. I think it's, it's so, so biblical. I, let me first start off with John 17. Jesus said, let them be one. He was speaking of the disciples and eventually the church. Let them be one, even as I and the Father are one. So the oneness first starts with Jesus, the Father, and the, uh, the, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the, that's the first oneness, all three being one. That's, that's starts off of there. But he was saying, now let the church, let those disciples and as they brought the church, let them be one so that the world would know that I actually have been sent from the Father. So as a testimony of Jesus is the oneness of the church. And let me just say this. We have misrepresented Jesus in an incredible way, unfortunately, around the world, but even particularly in our nation. Because now, you know, Dr. King, you mentioned him, he, he said he kind of popularized his statement to say the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is one of the most racially divided times throughout the week. And, and it's true, though, because in sports, 
in, uh, in, in medicine, in almost any other type of world in journalism, you see blacks and whites working together quite frequently. But unfortunately, you don't see as much of that in the church. We tend to go back to our cultural silos. Now, let me be clear, though. Around the throne, the Bible specifically says that every tongue, ethnicity, nations, cultures are going to all be around him, worshiping him, saying glory to the Lamb. Well, why? Because he does appreciate diversity. He created us to be diverse. So he's not saying that we have to be homogenized or we have to be, you know, forget who we are. But he does say our first blood, our first father is him, the father. We're one family together, more than blood type, but that in this we represent the beauty of his creation. And we represent, so if I'm black or white, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, man, it's so awesome when it comes to Christ, we're one, just like Jesus encouraged us to be one. And the other part, I'll, the other part of the scripture I'll give you to is that when he said in, in uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians, he said, "Listen, he said, I'm giving you that ministry of reconciliation. So actually, ministry of reconciliation is a mandate. First, when we talk about vertical, horizontally, which is you know what that what we together in the body of Christ, but vertically, first of all, with Him and the Lord, which happens to represent a cross." We must work together. We must be one to do the work of ministry together. And the church has the, the responsibility of leading the, the case of this aspect mm. of reconciliation. You got this one catalytic day. Tell me about why that's important and also what is part of the whole agenda for that day on the 25th. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of see that August 25th is almost like an upper room experience because it took it took 10 days for them to get together, and then the Lord came in suddenly when he said they were on one accord. And then these two years, we have just spent time together, labored together, prayed together, shared pulpits together with pastors, and then that brings our people together. So these prayer meetings have been building up to something. We believe that on August 25th, because we are standing together on the passage of be on top of the mountain, we're going to have our, our major ministry time is going to be at the base of the mountain. But we're even going to pass the baton, the older ones of us are going to pass the baton to the millennials. Over a thousand millennials are going to come up the mountain, and we're going to pass the racial healing baton to them. But what we believe is that this is a commencement. It's not an end. Because now that we're forming relationships, we're encouraging these groups to get together, stay together. The, the pastors stay together, the churches stay together, millennials stay together, and really work this out so that we can really have true oneness. It cannot just be, you know, a kumbaya time and, and you watch TV. I've been in way too many meetings like that. And then you go to your own silos. This has to be the beginning of a transformation in this area. And I, I, we can't change all of America at one time, but I believe that we can focus this on the Atlanta region <clears throat> to be an example of something that can be lasting change. So August 25th is really a catalytic event, but it's also a beginning of something that we feel like is going to continue a lifetime of true reconciliation. Mm. With biblical insight on matters related to unity and racial reconciliation, that was Garland Hunt here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website oneracemovement.com. 
We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, there is a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. There's also a link from faithradio.org through which you can find out information about downloading the Faith Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. The Intersection podcast is available through the Faith Radio app. And when you visit faithradio.org, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.